The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 16 and verses 1 to 15 and verse 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and he will no longer see me. And about right, about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't hear them now. You can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That is, This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you and verse 33 i have told you these things so that in me you may have peace you will have suffering in the world be courageous i have conquered the world this is the word of the lord thanks be to god this uh this is a, a great passage for us to talk about that puts two important figures uh, face to face, um, Satan and the spirit. Um, Satan, the devil, I don't know if you'd realize this, he's real. Okay, he is real. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we had this big, uh, this great big fat children's Bible, Catholic children's Bible. Right here. And um, when I was a kid, uh, we would look, my brother, my brother Nick and I, we would sometimes dare each other to open up the page to the, to the page where you could see the devil this painting of the devil tempting Jesus on the mountain. Um, we were terrified of it because of this picture. And, and, uh, and that's what I thought the devil was. He's like this skinny red flying guy with horns and a pointy tail and a red pitchfork and, and uh, hooves. And, uh, and he's, he's bad and he wants to scare me and he wants to give me bad dreams and take my toys and he wants to hurt Jesus. Now, the devil is real, um, but that's not him. Okay. Um, the, the New Testament gives us a very different picture of, of who the devil is and, and how he works. Uh, he's called the adversary. He's, uh, he's called the enemy. Um, and he's a liar. In, in John 8, Jesus says that there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because um, he's a liar and the father of lies. So the devil's a liar. The, liar's, the devil is a deceiver. Um, he deceives. Second Corinthians 11, Paul says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light in order to deceive us, right? Um, he, the devil is a predator, 
right? He roar, he kind of prowls around in First Peter. Peter tells us that our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Um, but he's also, and this might be a new thought, he's also a ruler. He's a he is an authority figure. Uh, remember that when the devil uh, tempted Jesus, he tried to cut a deal with Jesus, right? He, he shows him, he takes him all the way up to the top of the uh, the earth and he shows Jesus the kingdom of the world in a moment of time. And, and the devil says to him in Luke 4, I will give you their splendor and all of this, this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, all will be yours. That's from Luke 4. And, and and like, he could do that because he's powerful and he does have authority and 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 he does rule. He does have sort of a delegated uh, uh, rule over the earth. OK, he's real. And, and it's discouraging to think that as we look at the earth and what's going on here, uh, part of the reason why it's in such bad shape is because it is under his control. You know, like that's who they've got as their leader. Isn't that just, I mean, yeah, that, that discourages me. I don't know about you. So listen, we are, we're nearing the end of a series called Jesus is what God wants to say. And each week we've been learning that we have some pretty terrible ideas actually about God. We believe some things about God that are just not true and not helpful. And John's, uh, John's gospel's goal is to correct those bad ideas by, by putting in, in the mouth of Jesus by rep, or, or telling through telling the stories of Jesus in such a way that they correct us and they show us that, you know what, even though we get it wrong about God, we get it wrong about who God is and what God wants for us. Jesus never does. In fact, if we ever want to know what God is like and what God thinks, all we need to do is look to him because Jesus is what God wants to say. Now, we are in the upper room discourse. We've been here for the last few weeks. You might you might think of the upper room discourse as as John's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of important stuff that happens in this section. This is where Jesus washes the disciples feet. Uh, this is the Last Supper. This is where he says to them that in my house, my father's house are many rooms. Um, this is where Jesus tells them, I'm the way and the truth of the life. No one comes to the father except through me. This is where he tells the disciples, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And it's where he says to them that this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. So there's all these important things in this section. And and, and so it's like Jesus, before he leaves them, it's like he wants them to, he wants to make sure that they are trained and prepared for what is going to happen once he's gone. Now, when we were together last week, uh, David House and Jan did a, a masterful job leading us through John chapter 15 about abiding in Jesus. Um, today is where it all sort of comes to a head at the, as we wrap up this upper room discourse. And my aim today, I, I, I want us to join the disciples and, and feel their confusion. Because today they're kind of going like, Jesus, why would you leave us? How in the world are we going to make it in this world without you? Okay, and, and, and his answer really is in who we've got. Because we've got someone that 
the rest of the world doesn't. So, so we're, we're going to go back. We're going to look over this upper room discourse, and, and I, I'd like us to consider it under three headings. The first is the real problem. The second is the coming crisis and then a far better idea. OK, so the real problem, the coming crisis and then a far better idea. So first, let's talk about the real problem here. I don't think it's that hard to understand what's probably going through the disciples heads right now. Because um, Jesus says, actually, verse 6, uh, sorrow has filled your heart. And, um, and, and uh, I want to see why. Okay, like if we actually go back over John's gospel, we have some glimpses uh, of what the problem is. Um, the problem is that the world has a ruler already. Okay, the world has a ruler. That's the problem. On, on Palm Sunday, Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, you may remember he said, uh, in John 12, 31, uh, now, is this, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. Uh, earlier in the upper room, as uh, Judas is uh, on his way to get the, uh, the officers to come and arrest Jesus, uh, here's Jesus with his disciples and he tells them, look, I, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no power over me. Um, and Jesus said in, in chapter 16, verse 11, that one of the things that's going to change after the cross is that the ruler of this world has been judged. And so three times in John's gospel alone, Satan is called the ruler of this world. Satan is the ruler of this world. Paul, the apostle, goes as far as to say that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He calls Satan the God of this age. Now, are we really saying that the devil is that powerful? How could that, like, how could that possibly be true? Well, I want to invite you to, to think about where we are right now. Okay, like, you saw the footage of George Floyd being killed the other day, and, and, and in the days since that happened, um, we've seen a lot of other kinds of evil. And we might not even agree on what all of those evils are, but everybody sees some when you look at this. Okay, so maybe the cop who pressed his knee onto George Floyd's neck for nine minutes, maybe that was evil, in your opinion. Maybe, or maybe for you, part of the evil is that George Floyd was high and he was trying to buy smokes with a counterfeit $20 bill and that was evil. Maybe for you, the evil was in the three cops who stood there. Or maybe the evil is in the policing system in the U.S. itself. Or maybe it's the thousands of people who are taking a knee and blocking traffic. Maybe that's the evil. Maybe for you is, is the chance of no justice, no peace, F the police. And that really upsets you and gets you, makes you feel very anxious and, and activated. Maybe for you, the looters are the evil or the burning buildings are the evil or the people who are watching CNN are the evil or the people watching Fox are the evil. Maybe the evil is when people hold up Romans chapter 13, though, and say that, you know, the police were put there by God. That could be the evil. Maybe the evil is the leaders who call the, the, the protesters thugs. Uh, do you know which of these individual actions are the work of the devil? Like, do you, do you feel you know? Because I actually don't think that I do. I don't think I know how to explain all of this except to say that it is evil. It is part of a great, big, deeply entangled, evil, wicked, broken, fallen, corrupt system. And, you know, in a lot of churches, we've learned to say, you know, it's just better not to talk about politics. You know, it's just better to leave it alone. And I'm saying that's evil, too. 
It's like if the whole world just hates each other, if we just, you know, get used to looking at the world and saying it is evil, it's broken, and we're going to be, we're going to have nothing to do with it. And we just get used to it. We just accept how bad it is. And we distance ourselves from it. If we just get used to that, just so you know, somebody's winning. That pleases someone. You know who? Satan. It pleases the ruler of the world. It is, is it, and so I just, I'm just asking, like, is it so hard for us to believe that the devil is in this? I don't think it is. And I think that that's the real problem. Okay? The real problem is that the, there, this evil that we see has someone behind it pulling the strings. And we've just gotten used to it. And that's why I appreciate Kevin DeYoung, who is a pastor in the United States. He says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And so when scripture talks about the world, it doesn't mean planet Earth. It means it's referring to a system. It's referring to like the matrix. Okay, like a way of life, a way of seeing the world who's, who's, where its values and its rules and its beliefs are just opposed to the kingdom of God and we don't even care. It's, it's, it's this rival kingdom. It's not neutral. It is ruled by the devil himself. And, and almost nobody realizes that he's even there. That is the real problem. Okay, that is the real problem. That the world has a ruler and it's Satan, and that's who they've got. And it seems to the disciples that he's just abandoned us in that. Let's talk about the coming crisis. See, after Jesus leaves, it is going to get bad. Okay, there's going to be persecution, and it's going to begin the way that it always does. Because Jesus says they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. Okay, they're going to do this stuff because they believe it's the right thing to do. They're going to hurt you and harm you and persecute you, believing that it's an act of worship. And so you're going to be excluded. Okay, your membership in the synagogue, canceled. No more festivals for your family. Sorry. You used to belong. You used to be included. But now you're out. Now you're marginalized. You're going to be excluded. And you know what's next? You're going to be branded. We're going to, you're going to be treated like a heretic, like, a, like an apostate, like a, like a false teacher. Okay, because you're dangerous because you once upon a time you were doing well, but then you abandoned the faith and you went off after this crazy liberal blasphemer, Jesus. And we know that that's what's going to happen because Jesus warns them that they are going to be killed. You know, once enough people think that you're dangerous, you know what happens? Once enough people think that you're dangerous, nobody's going to get upset if you if you can be killed because that's how this works. Okay, when powerful people see other people as a threat, then getting rid of them becomes their obligation. It's like their responsibility. It's it's their it's 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 what they must do because those lives don't matter. Those lives don't matter. Let let the reader understand. And this is how it is. You will be excluded. You will be branded. You'll be killed. Jesus wants them to know. And it's like who's responsible for that? Who's responsible? Well, not not Caesar. It's not the Romans. It's not even those who think that they're offering service to God. Um, you know who it is? It, this is the warning that's been bubbling under the surface in John's gospel all along. Jesus said back in chapter 8, he said, 
to the to a, he said to the group, this group of people, he said, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I'm here. But you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Do you know who he was talking to? The Pharisees. He was talking to the religious guys and said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. So listen, persecution never starts with Nero, okay? It starts with popular, respected religious leaders doing what they can, doing everything in their power to silence you. That's what's coming. That is the coming crisis uh, for Jesus and the disciples. And, and this is not hard for you to imagine. I mean, like, we can relate to the disciples' fear. Haven't you wondered, Jesus, why'd you have to leave? Like, it would be so great if you had stayed. Like, look at the world. Look at what, look at who they've got. Look who they've got leading them. Why, why couldn't you just stay and stay with us in person? And, and, and that's why this upper room discourse is so important. Like, we can see the real problem. Okay, we can see the real problem is that the world is under the control of the devil. We can see the coming crisis that that the Pharisees, the religious right, are going to get a hold of believe, true believers and they're going to make things really hard. But as good as it would be for Jesus to stick around, he has a far better idea. He has a far better idea. He actually he has good news that he says in verse one is going to keep us from stumbling. And so with all that's about to happen, um, it's like, yeah, there's no way the church is going to make it. it might, maybe it feels like that. There's no way the church will make it unless what? What's the hope? Maybe what? That Jesus stays? No, Jesus has a far better idea. His Holy Spirit. And, and that's why the upper room discourse is so important, because the spirit is all over it. And the devil is a liar, and he's a deceiver, and he's a ruler, and, and, and that's who they've got. But look who we've got. Look how Jesus introduces the spirit for you and me, okay? Because he's who we've got. Jesus, Jesus wants us to know that the spirit is the perfect guide. He's the perfect guide. He is referred to four times in this passage as the counselor, okay? Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Listen, you remember, I, I don't know if you remember your high school guidance counselor. Mine was pretty awful, if I'm honest. But a good counselor is a guide and an advisor. And if you ask them for help, they will help you to make good decisions. Okay, now the devil is a liar, but the spirit never misleads you. He's never wrong. He always tells the truth. And yes, Jesus is leaving, but we have the perfect guide. That's who we've got. But he's also uh, a constant companion. He's a perfect guide, but he's also a constant companion. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He uh, remains with you and will be in you, verse 17. So, you know, the devil wants to devour you. He wants to use you and chew you up and toss you aside. But the spirit will never leave you. He's going to be in you. And when Jesus leaves, that's what's happening. And, and that's who we've got. All right. We've got a constant companion. We've got the perfect guide. And next, Jesus wants us to know that the spirit is a faithful teacher. 
He's a faithful teacher. In verse 26, Jesus says that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. That's John 14, 26. Look, it is not up to us to figure out the truth on our own because we have got a teacher. And the Holy Spirit says, I know the truth. And now so do you. Jesus can be trusted. And so, yes, Jesus is leaving, but that's who we've got. We've got a faithful teacher. We've got a constant companion. We've got the perfect guide. We've also got a reliable witness. We've got a reliable witness because in John 15, 26, Jesus says that when the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus says. Okay, so yeah, Jesus is going away. Yes, we will be tempted to forget, but the Spirit himself is our witness. You know what a witness does, right? He's the one who, who testifies and says, hey, hey, I don't forget what you've seen and heard. Don't forget. Uh, don't forget the wedding. Don't forget what you saw there. Don't forget the woman at the well. Don't forget the man born blind. Don't forget the woman caught in adultery. Don't forget Jesus at the Feast of Booths. Don't forget Lazarus. This stuff happened. You saw it. The Spirit is a reliable witness. That's who we've got. And the, the Holy Spirit, finally, is our star defense. Now, this may be the most important part of the whole upper room discourse. Okay, because in this section, Jesus puts the work of the Holy Spirit side by side with the work uh, of the devil. And in this section, John 16, verses 7 through 11, here's what Jesus says. It's for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, so there's these three charges, and the Spirit will convict the world guilty about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. Verse 9, about sin because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you'll no longer see me. And verse 11, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So let me do my best to help us make sense of this, this because I do think it's important. Picture a courtroom, okay? A courtroom scene where you've got the church, okay? You and I, you've got the disciples. We are the defendant, okay? We have been accused. And we are accused by the devil, okay? We're accused by the devil and the world. And the devil is like the, the prosecuting attorney. He's the, he's the lawyer prosecuting us and bringing the charges against us. He's our accuser, and he is good at his job. And you know um, that you, you win or lose a case based on how strong the evidence is, right? And so Jesus wants us to know that as powerful and as resourceful as the devil is as the accuser, the spirit is better. And the spirit is going to find us innocent of all charges, and he's going to instead convict the world. He's going to flip the charges on their head and convict the world. Because it kind of goes like this. Because the first charge that he deals with is sin. You see, see, uh, the, the devil's going to say that, uh, that sin, he's going to, he's going to uh, take the, the, the religious group, the religious world, the Pharisees, let's say, uh, who say that, that sin is breaking their laws and their traditions and undermining their leadership. And that's the charge that the devil is bringing against us, that we have, we have, we are sinners because we don't, we disagree with the Pharisees. And the spirit says, no, that is not what sin is. 
Sin is unbelief in Jesus, and I say they are innocent, and you are guilty. You know how he knows? Because exhibit A, the evidence is that they refuse to believe in Jesus even after all that they have seen. And so he convicts them about sin. The second charge is about righteousness. I think it goes like this. The devil uh, says that Jesus is wrong. He says, the devil says that we become righteous by keeping the rules, okay, by complying with the external be behavior code, the law code. And the spirit says, no, you're wrong. Righteousness is through faith in Christ. And I say they have that. You know why? You know how I know? Here's the evidence, okay? Here's exhibit B. Exhibit B, Jesus will rise from the dead. He will return to the Father. And when you can't find him, that's when, we will, that's when you'll prove he was right all along. And therefore, you are guilty. You are guilty uh, about righteousness. And then judgment is the third charge. The third charge is, is about judgment. You see, the devil wants to judge Jesus' followers as dangerous. He wants, uh, to, he, he, he wants to judge that the world is better off without us. And the Spirit says, uh, no. Um, no, they, that judgment doesn't apply. They're free from judgment. In fact, it's time for Satan uh, to be judged. If any judgment is going to be happening here, it's actually time for Satan to be judged. His king, the, the kingdom of God is spreading. Jesus is winning. And so it's time for Satan to be judged. You know how I know? Uh, here's exhibit C, that on the cross, the ruler is judged. He is exposed. He is declared guilty. He is conquered. He is defeated. And he has had his butt handed to him. He's convicted. Not the church. Not the disciples. And what it looks like to me is that here in this upper room discourse, you've got the Trinity. You've got the Father and the Son and the Spirit coming together to give us hope. Not by having Jesus stay behind, but by leaving his Spirit. And that is better that is a better way than if Jesus were to stay. Okay? The world's ruler has been defeated. He is, he's been revealed as a pretender, as a false uh, ruler. And, 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 and that's who they've got. But we've got the Spirit. He fills us. He empowers us. He guides us. He teaches us. He defends us. And the Spirit says, look, guys, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the devil preach to you. I'm in you, and I say that you're innocent. I say that you're accepted and you're loved. I say that you're saved and powerful. I say that you are secure. You are uh, beautiful. You are valuable. You are important. That's what the Spirit says, and that's who we've got. And we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need now so that when, so that whatever comes, we can follow the way of Jesus. And even though Jesus has gone, leaving his spirit is better. It's better for us to have him. And so from here on, because the spirit is with us, we don't need to be overcome by the evil in the world. Okay, when we, when we watch what's going on in the news, or when we listen to it in, in, our, in our music or uh, in our when we see it in our movies, we don't have to 
uh, be overcome by evil. We also don't need to be entertained by it. We don't need to be entertained by it either. We can, we can, because we've got the spirit, we can ask forgiveness of those who we have wronged. And we can also forgive those who have wronged us. Because we've got the spirit, we can use our voice to confront those who use their voice and their power to harm uh, others. Can the spirit do that? Can the spirit help us to do that? Can He can. He can give us courage to speak truth to power, whether we're talking about a boss or a friend or a member of city council, even a pastor. Because we got the spirit, you know, we can be an ally. We can be a friend. We can be a brother or sister to somebody who needs one. That's how we're going to be the church. That's who we've got. Listen, Jesus has shown us what God wants to say to the world. He wants us to know we are not alone. God himself is with us and he is in us. That's what Jesus did for us. That's who we are. That's who we've got. And that's why he can say, uh, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous or take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening.